G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast, the round 22 review edition. As I say, very good evening to my Footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? Yeah, I'm really well. It doesn't get better than that, does it? Top of the table, we knew that we had two huge encounters this weekend and didn't they live up to the big billing, Geelong, Brisbane of course, or Brisbane, Geelong and Richmond, West Coast. I don't think we're any closer to solving the puzzle as to who takes out this year's premiership, but there are, and you can throw Collingwood supporters in the mix as well, there would be five groups of supporters thinking, at our best, we can handle the rest. I agree with that. Uh, Is that where we rule the line, though? Uh, A certain team from the western suburbs of Melbourne are playing some very good footy at the moment. Yeah, which is... Makes finishing fifth all the more dangerous. Uh, it does. Essendon, look, that was a great win by your Bombers over in Perth. So who really, you are likely, not certain, not certain, but you are likely to play the Bulldogs if you finish fifth. And that's no prize, is it? No, no, it's not. Uh, and so some very interesting permutations to be sorted out in the final round next week. Another thing I want to talk about finally just before we start Hamburgers. I was going to say permutations and burgers. Mm. Now, I'll say this about a hamburger. I am very cautious about what I put on my burger at most burger joints because more is less for mine with a hamburger. Mm. But I've got to say... Isn't less is more? More. No, more is less. Oh, that's When they put more on. Oh, too much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, More is less at most burger joints. But I've got to say, and I... Hand to heart here, now that I'm an Andrew's Hamburgers devotee, I'm more confident in going with, because I like an egg on a burger, Mm -hmm. but I'm more confident going with the lot there because they still make it a one hand, one bite, enjoy the lot experience. Nothing comes flying out at right angles. Nothing ends up in the bottom of the bag. Nothing squirts over everything. The bun's not compromised. I know I'm talking design fault here, mm. but theirs are almost design perfect. It's it's the marriage of it's the marriage of experience and and at times I imagine over the years they've added things to the list, uh, a little bit of experimentation. But I would go with Andrew's hamburgers can put together a burger better than any other burger joint in Australia. And where would I find such a burger? In my hands, out the front of 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I also am in the market for a new house. Where would I find one of them? Interestingly, design and construction also comes to play when designing and constructing a house. Maybe inspired by Andrew's Burgers, Nick's Bartels and Hardwick Build Co. Likewise, can give you one with the lot without compromising on appearance or quality. And look what happens when you have a house built by uh, Nick Spartels. You turn into a football of the likes of Dyson Heppel or Scott Pendlebury. 
Cometh the hour, cometh the men on the weekend. They certainly did. The captain's choice, Nick Spartels and Hardwick Bildka. And I think we'll talk about that right now. Let's get into our review of all nine games on a fantastic weekend of footy. On Footyology, wrap around. Well, round 22 kicked off with, uh, well, let's not sugarcoat it, a bit of a dud, to be perfectly honest. Friday night footy. And uh, between two also ran 17th and 14th on the ladder, Melbourne v Sydney. And a comprehensive win to the Swans. I don't know why you tipped Melbourne finally, but you did. We'll get into that. Final scores, the Swans 15-5-95, 53-point victors over, yet again, a disappointing Melbourne, 5-12-42. Three goals to Sam Reid, two to Dawson. Two to McCartan, two to Menzel, two to Papley, two to Rowbottom, three to Melksham for the Demons, the only multiple goal kicker for them. Uh, Relatively even first quarter, four goals to three the Swans way, but then the Demons, and this is a bit of a theme over the last couple of weeks for several teams, goalless for the next two quarters and looking increasingly inept. Couldn't hit a target. Couldn't uh, summon the um, wherewithal to uh, keep up with their opponents. And the Swans did a bit of a number on them in the finish. And some real positives to the Swans out of this game, I thought, uh, finally. The usual suspects, very good. Jake Lloyd, Luke Parker, etc., etc. But a really good game by Ollie Florent. Um, He's really come of age, I reckon. 28 disposals for him. Nick Blakey looking dangerous again in a variety of... Rolls Rowbottom, I think he has really uh, impressed in the second half of the season. So some good um, good pluses there. And for a side that we seem to keep saying all year is going to have to rebuild and end of an era, blah, blah, blah. Yet again, they have turned up um, some pretty exciting young talent. McCartan's the other one I didn't mention too. I like him as a key forward. So uh, a good evening for the Swans and for Melbourne. Uh, the end of this season cannot come quickly enough. Yeah, before I said more is less, now I'm going to say first is worst. And it was luckily not a, a portent of things to come because this was a an eminently forgettable game of football, except for a couple of the facts that you pointed out. Now, when Nick Blakey plays, people are almost impatiently waiting for the body to fill out a bit and for him to take his place amongst the game's elite. But he is already a match-winning key component of a football team. But you can understand why commentators and fans alike are uh, imagining Nick Blakey, say, two years from now, Mm. uh, in his early 20s with uh, the... Was it the David Parkin 60-game minimum where he suggested a, a footballer was had arrived, would be comfortable and could be assessed correctly, somewhere between 50 and 75 games. The Swans are sort of without a ruckman. McLean it was a rookie pick forward, a, a, a late addition to the list. And a late withdrawal. Correct. They have him on top of no Callum Sinclair, no... There's a couple of others. Um, I... There's actually a couple more players that they don't have. Alir Alir should not be rucking for them because of, for a couple of reasons. Because he's a very well now um, and quite experienced backman who reads the game so well, but also because of the dangers to his young and growing body. 
I'm disappointed in Max Gorn. I'm actually want to ask you about Max. Mm. He's considered one of the game's elite. He finished the game on the pine, having signalled to the trainers that there was something amiss. I think he's dispirited. I think he's demeanour. Uh, I think he's a leader. He's talismanic. He's There's young guys in a midfield that look to a marauding Max Gorn uh, to get on the back of his coattails. And I think his resignation with this season is poor and has spread through the team. I'm not. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not all that interested in Gordon when things are going good. I'm interested in Gordon when things are going bad, and I think he adds to the problem. I'm, yeah, I, I think that's a bit harsh. I mean, he's won 52 hitouts in that game. I'm saying you couldn't. Every ball up was every everyone he contested was his to win. No, but I mean, this is the, the big issue with me, and I don't sort of blame him for being downcast is the lack of connection with the midfielders. You win 52 hitouts and the other side ends up winning the clearances and it was 52 to next to nothing. I mean, and this has been an ongoing problem for them all season. So that's one issue for the Demons. The other issue has been a completely impotent and dysfunctional forward setup and Tom McDonald's poor form and then injury contributed to that. Sam Wiedemann hasn't gone on with it. Um, you know, they've missed Jesse Hogan. Um, it's just what a disaster this season's been. And in terms of falls from grace, um, their demise from preliminary finalists last year to uh, second bottom this year is is one of the worst of all time. And uh, the big question now, and we've asked it a bit in the last few weeks, is whether last year was the norm and this year the aberration or vice versa. Um, I tend to think they can get back on the bike pretty quickly, but it, it does give an indicator of how um, uh, precarious their whole mindset is, I think. There you have it. I'm glad you said it because I was almost about to pull you up and put you in the same category as so many commentators who have, first of all, deferred to this accepted reality that I don't believe exists, that they've been decimated by injuries this year. Mm. I think that's bakwa. Look, the, they are... No more impacted upon than most clubs. In fact, less so. But can somebody list me the players that are out for them that have missed this season? Because they're not their key players. No, I think uh, it's more uh, the list of off-season surgeries and and, um, hampered pre-season campaigns. As the case may be. They are, to me, symptomatic of a classic modern-day football team. They've got enough top-liners or what? Some people like to call A-graders. Max Gorn when he's right. Uh, I think Petrarca's had a decent year, by the way. I don't mm. think he's lost any ground. In fact, he's gained a bit. Clayton Oliver. They've got enough good footballers, very good footballers, that when the whole team has the right mindset, they can do great things. But Melbourne, historically, and once again, I history doesn't create the current situation. But in a way... Maybe it's the fans and their resignation to acceptance, lack of real drive and lack of the feeling of heat from your fans and from just the general football public. This is a football team that I think defers to quit, hits the quit button quicker than any other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I reckon, I reckon that's fair enough. Um, I reckon that's enough on that game too. Let's go to Saturday. Saturday afternoon at the G, Carlton hosting St Kilda and a 10-point win to the Blues, 11-12-78, defeating the Saints, 
68. Three goals to McGovern, singles the rest for the Blues. Three to Membry, two to Hind, singles the rest for the Saints. Um, I've got to say, Fanny, I know you wouldn't have enjoyed the result, but I, I really enjoyed this game of footy. It, it's something, it felt a bit old-fashioned or something. I mean, there were plenty of mistakes. It wasn't necessarily high quality, but it was a really good contest and... You know, they um, they nipped at each other's heels and either team had periods of ascendancy and you thought, oh, they're going to go away and win. Um, lead changed hands three times in the last quarter. And in the end, uh, the Saints sort of shot themselves in the foot, didn't they, with some uh, inaccuracy in important moments. But uh, full credit to the Blues. They prevailed and uh, hit the front with, uh, what was it, a goal to Josh DeLuca and then that fantastic snap from Harry Mackay willing onto his... Left, boys. How good was that? <laughs> well, Dermy was calling it the goal of the year. I don't know if it was a goal of the year, but it was a fair old uh, whack from the uh, from the left foot, well outside fifty. Mark Murphy turned back the clock with twenty seven disposals for your boys. Uh, like the job um, Steele did on Cripps, uh, thought he was pretty good. Uh, another one for the Blues too, Levi Casbolt, 20 disposals, 10 marks in defence with no Jones and a late withdrawal in Wietering. Your Saints got on a roll there, kicked six in a row, I think, in the second and third quarters. And the Blues hit back um, and in the end they finished up on top. But uh, really enjoyable game of footy. The right team won, first of all, mm. because they had, for me, the... Not just, I, I agree, I thought Casbolt was fantastic, by the way, and St Kilda didn't exploit the fact that they had some hide opportunities in the forward line. I would have liked to see Rowan Marshall spend some time up forward. I think that might have been one too many for that Carlton backline to handle. Yep. It was a good ruck duel too, Marshall and Cruiser. Yeah, yeah. Look, he's a really good player, Marshall, and Cruiser, except for some bad kicking a goal, really could have stamped himself as a match winner before we even got to the final desperate few minutes of the game. I say the right team won because I was very impressed by Carlton's no names, no names and their improvement. That, mm. that has been, to me, striking. DeLuca, well, he hasn't improved because he wasn't even there. He was a mid-season draft pick, and hasn't, wasn't he good? Yeah. Like, they kept him in the team, even though he only had five possessions the week before because of forward pressure, but he added to that with getting the ball and hitting the scoreboard. Who are the no-names? Cunning, um, look, O'Brien, yeah. not a fan of his previously. Yeah. I've got to admit, I was wrong. I, mm. I actually was, I would have said I didn't think he was actually up to league standard last year. No, he was, He. I thought he played extremely well. There. Look, Lockie Plowman's a brave player. Nick Newman. Uh, Sydney, it's interesting. Sydney have always prided themselves on picking up players from other clubs and making the best of what they've got. I'm surprised. Were you surprised when he was so easily released? Yeah, a bit. Um, he was one of a three or four who were sort of considered on the same level. I guess they couldn't keep them all. He's tough. He's, yeah. a, he's angry. Yeah. But he's very good. good yeah. No, good, he's been a good pick Good, up. solid, safe pair of hands. What about your mate uh, McGovern? Thought he was well, quite good. I was going to say, I think I've cost him killed to three games. My my <laughs> incessant up. my incessant harping on about Walker and McGovern have come to bite me on backside because Taylor Walker's only had two games that he hasn't stunk up this season, both of them against St Kilda. And McGovern was very good. If he kicked more accurately, he would have kept off. He could have had four or five, but he was the best marking forward. um, Mackay as well. The best target on the ground, probably. And he hit the packs nice and hard. 
Murphy, to me, clearly best on ground. From the St Kilda perspective, again, a lot of faultless entry into the forward 50 means that the ball is killed too often. Bruce didn't have a great day. No, no, he didn't. But I like the way Bruce competes. And I like the way Membry plays. I think they need, and Max King hopefully will add add that final need, because I don't think McCartan's really going to play footy again. Really? No, probably not. Uh, they need a tall marking forward for them to, to benefit from playing on the second and third defenders. Mm. Not terrible, St Kilda. I thought it was a really good game. By the way, I thought the crowd was fantastic, over 50,000. 51,786. Heaps of Carlton fans there. But mm. St Kilda not irrelevant in the crowd numbers. And I think both sets of fans would be thanking the football gods that they played on Saturday, not Sunday. That was a beautiful day to go yeah. to the footy and watch footy. Yeah, but and, maybe that's why I thought it felt old-fashioned. Yeah, but it was nice, wasn't it? It was a really good day to beat the footy. A day later, and you were under, you know, watching a game from freezing cold, wet conditions, but a better game. Uh, quick one. Do both these teams go into the postseason and look ahead to next year with a fair bit of optimism? I think so. Yeah. I think that... I think More so, Carlton? No. No? No. Oh, so you're right. I mean, Secure have had an incredible casualty list, haven't they? So a lot depends on getting them back. Yeah. Look, they'll get their captain back, which is very important. Uh, people forget a player like Dean Kent had a very good start for St Kilda, and halfway through the year, he's out for the season. Yeah. Uh, no, I think both teams, in equal doses, can look forward to next year, and both teams will have a very it'll be governed by what happens in the trade period. If Carlton land Cornelio, if St Kilda land Hill mm. and possibly Tomlinson, they can really look to next year optimistically. All right, final one. One word answer. Um, that performance, has that improved, diminished or kept the same Brett Ratton's hopes of getting the gig? Oh, you'll hear more in the rant, but if he's not the coach, it, it, we're just wasting time here and treading water. I think he is. All right, let's move on. Okay, up to the Gabba. Number one versus number two on the AFL ladder. It promised a lot, and it certainly delivered with an amazing finish. And Brisbane yet again coming from behind to take this game out by a solitary point. 10 goals, 15-75, defeating the Cats, 10-14-74. Five goals to Charlie Cameron. What a season he has had. Singles the rest. For the Cats, two to Myers, two to Radigalia and singles the rest. This is a weird game, Finey. I've got to say, for at least three quarters, I found it pretty uninspiring. And I found it um, almost a bit of overcoaching from, from both sides. And I'm not sure who was reacting to who, but both refused to take on the corridor, kept going down the line. As many out-of-bounds on the falls of, as I can remember seeing in a game, I don't know if anyone bothered to count, but it seemed like over a dozen. Um, and a lot of boundary side scrappy play and low scoring as a result. But well, well, best summed up by not a day to be a key forward. What a horrible day to be Hawkins or Hipwood or the ball. Really, I know Adams played really well, but it was, I agree entirely, it, it just was a game where... You've got guys that can kick you, can get the ball and kick you goals. Why aren't you kicking it to them? Well, 
it end, it underwent such a transformation almost out of desperation. I mean, the uh, Cats were what seventeen points up. I think about nine, ten minutes into that final quarter, and and I thought, oh well, this is just going to sort of peter out to a a relatively routine win for the Cats, and then the Lions. Just when you felt that, did you feel the Brisbane were not the contender that? I guess we had thought they were, because I really had that feeling in watching that game. Now, I watched it after I knew the score, yeah. but I still wanted to try and think as though I didn't know what was about to happen. Yeah, yeah. I, and, I, I was thinking that, and I still think that. I, I think, in essence, I think that if they, um, if they can't get the ball on the outside and make it an open attacking game, they're going to be in trouble. I don't think they can play the, the tough, contested brand that other teams want to play. It'll be best summed up. No one will tip them next week. No, they won't. And that it's that, a great test for them next yeah, week. They are on top of the ladder. They're a game clear on top, and nobody's going to tip them next week. So they brought it back to what eleven points. Charlie Cameron uh, walks into an open goal. Uh, five points of difference with three minutes seventeen left on the clock. But and what then, happened just before? How did they get the ball into the forward line? Uh, free kick against Gary Ablett for deliberate out of bounds. I think Darcy Gardner was given the free. If he was umpire, he wouldn't have paid the free. He looked like he was flabbergasted that yeah. he was about to get a kick. Yeah, it was a dud decision. Um, fantastic mark and conversion from the great Lincoln McCarthy. Um, I'm so glad you said that. I tweeted it when he took the mark. Well, the great McCarthy. The two, two of the three great pieces of literature relating to Australian rules football, the club put aside, are the big men fly. Yeah. And the great McCarthy. Well, he's not a big man, but that that was the great McCarthy did fly. Oh, my goodness. Uh, great grab and goal. One minute 24 left on the clock after that. And uh, Cats went forward again, but uh, they managed to force a ball up, I think, with about 24 seconds left and hung on. One man down on the bench, too, because Alan Christensen uh, pinged a hamstring. Um you mentioned Marcus Adams, thought he played a great game on Tom Hawkins, 19 disposals and 10 marks for him. And the Cats, um, you had to feel for them a bit because they look like winning this game for 95% of it and didn't end up with the points. But hats off to Brisbane, nine in a row. Uh, they've got this happy knack of coming from behind. Like I said, though, I do think, and it would be a great victory for football to see it happen, I think they're going to be in trouble if they try and match the other sides for that uh, in close, tight, scrappy win. I think they need to really open things up. That's a big chance. First of all, this has happened before, though not very often. Geelong could Quinella the Brownlow. Uh, Kelly and Dangerfield. I thought Dangerfield was best on ground. Yeah. Why? I don't feel for Geelong, and I think they were unlucky. I think they held sway for most of the afternoon, but did not take it scoreboard advantage of it because of the reasons you pointed out. Because when they had the opportunity, I think I think a couple of times they had Brisbane ready to ready for the taking. You know, mm. they'd bought the present, they were just wrapping it up and they didn't put the bow on it. And the reason they lost the game was because that they were within catching distance. Now what happens is eventually a team that's behind has to roll the dice and go down the middle and play more attacking football, at which point a whole new game begins. At which point Brisbane, at home, looked... You know what? When you sit on a lead, you half expect to to defend it to the death knock. And that's sort of 
almost walked along we're doing. We're in front. We're bracing ourselves. We're bracing ourselves. Ah, we lost. Mm. Why did they do that? Why didn't they, when they were on top, put this game beyond doubt? Because I really felt that for the better part of that second half, they could have taken it to 30 points and put the game beyond doubt. Well, that's been, I think, the biggest knock on them in the last half of the season has been the caution with which they play their footy, and they're better than that. But it's funny because it's almost had to re-educate players that are not traditionally known for that sort of play. Don't tell me that Dangerfield, Ablett, put them aside even, Kelly, Duncan, are the sort of players that are conservative in their footballing approach. Mm. You know, Duncan is a line-busting, long-kicking goal kicker. Why is he chipping the ball sideways? It, it begs the question as to whether or not Geelong are trying to hide some deficiencies. Is it in the ruck? Is it their defence that they're trying not to expose? I get a sense that they are worried, almost petrified about turnovers, that even one-on-one, they don't necessarily trust the people that they have down back, especially Blitz Blitzavs in the ruck. I get a sense that Chris Scott is protecting a back half rather than uh, taking advantage of midfield dominance. Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good point. Um, okay, quick one. I'll keep asking it. Um, can Geelong win the flag? No. No, I don't think they can. Can Brisbane win the flag? No. Nobody can win the flag. I'm just going to say this now. If you didn't watch today's game and think that these are the two best teams in the competition, mm. then you either barrack for the other teams that are in the running or it's your first time at the footy. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, we will get to that game we're talking about, but not before another important game played at Twilight in Adelaide. Adelaide Oval, Twilight, and a thumping win for the Collingwood Football Club. 17-12, 116.6-point victors over the Crows. Six goals, 12, 48 Five goals to Jamie Elliott, and boy, did he make a difference. Great game from him. Three goals to Thomas, two to Adams, two to Hoskin Elliott, two to Phillips, two to Varco. Maynard, the only single goal kicker. Fogarty or Fogarty, which one are we going with there? Fogarty or Fogarty? Looking out out my back door. Well, he's got me in it. This one hasn't. Uh, But Fogarty three and singles the rest. Um, This was a thumping finey, and... Uh, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because half-time, 17 points, the Pies led by. Adelaide had been wasteful. They were two goals, six. But um, I, I, wasn't, uh, <laughs> I wasn't hopeful of the Crows even then. And uh, that certainly came home to roost in the third quarter. Six goals, three to the Pies to a miserable one goal, two. And straight after the half-time break, in fact, they just went berserk. Six unanswered goals in 22 minutes, I think it was. Um, biggest loss of the season for the Crows. They have now lost six of their last eight games. Second half, 12 goals to four. Um, I want to talk about the Pies, though. I thought, you know, you'd almost forgotten how important Jamie Elliott is to them. But if he can play like that uh, in subsequent games, I'm thinking about a forward line with him, Dugowie, Varco has fitted in really well as a small forward. Um, how about your friend? Which one? Stevenson. Oh, yes, right. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. that's not a bad inclusion either. So, I mean, we're talking about the loss of Cox. And I remember at the time saying, you know, is this a cue for them to go ultra small? Yeah. And I reckon you'd, you'd do that with some sort of confidence. It's a different look. 
Well, better than putting Roughhead up there. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so, you know, look, pretty ominous stuff by the pies. Can I ask you a question about Adelaide? Yeah. Could you read out, according to the AFL.com.au readout, their best. who their best players were? Well, they only named four. Yeah, Smith, yeah. Yeah, where, does, where does Smith play? Uh, halfback flank. Yep. Oh, he's okay. been used up forward a bit this season. Yeah, but he was he was back of centre when I saw him. Seedsman, yep. Laird, where does and, Laird play? Uh, halfback flank. Yep. Um, and Brad Crouch. Okay. Um, no forwards. No, those two, you know, Laird, Smith. Who won the game for Collingwood? Jamie Elliott. And Thomas? Maybe it's an accepted fact that Laird is a good ball getter. Mm. I think it should be equally accepted that he's a poor defender. Now, it's all well and good. They've got a lot of players that have played a lot, a lot of football, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, you, we're starting to get to 200 games numbers. You know, the guys like David McKay, I think, over 150. Um, and these guys are not necessarily and have not necessarily picked up on element, parts of their games well into an AFL career that have let them down in the past. And I speak of Rory Laird. I speak of not Smith as much. I speak, of course, of Walker. I speak of some of their, Atkins didn't play, but some of their um, ball carriers who get a lot of it but don't use it brilliantly, some of their defenders who get a lot of it but are not all that tight checking, and of course some of their forwards who can't run wide enough to avoid the crushes. You know what this says to me? I mean, personnel-wise, yeah, there's a few changes, but their defence was bloody good two years ago, right? Yep. And they were also a side that created a lot of scores from forcing turnovers. That pressure has completely evaporated. Mm -hmm. And the looseness of the defence, what does that say to you? It says that guys that are playing selfish footy, they're not switched on to the team ethic. I think that is a really good word for some of Adelaide's footballers. Well, I I heard a couple of things, by the by, yesterday to that effect. This is a a playing group that is unhappy and not united. And, uh, it's and selfishness happens. When that happens, and you're not all on the same page, mm. and that can happen very quickly for a team, then talented footballers start to think, well, hang on, there's going to be some changes here. I'm north of 25. I better start getting the sort of numbers that mean that I am not looking you know, for a job somewhere else because it can quickly you can quickly be on the nose in footy. And it's easy to be wise after the event, isn't it? But I now look back on the grand final loss and the events subsequent to that, i.e. Weaver's departure and the and sort Gibbs of... arrival. And, and the nasty taste that yeah. sort of left in a few mouths. And I think, geez, that's not what you'd expect of a side that's played in a grand final. It was, was a it? shock, wasn't it? At the time, that was a real shock that this team was sort of slightly fracturing and also paying a king's ransom to try and get somebody to the club really to add to a midfield where midfield strength was considered to be the, well, as you said, with pressure applied, to be the cornerstone of this near premiership attempt. So the midfielders, I think, I'm not saying their noses would have been out of joint, but they would have been asking, hey, we don't need to give up the ranch for Bryce Gibbs. Mm. What are you doing? Uh, well, and, and, and not much of a place to be a young footballer coming on. 
How mm. many footballers have had to watch David McKay get picked every week yeah. and think, I can do that? Because I tell you what, if you're on an AFL list, you probably can do that. Well, Fogarty's a pretty good example of this too. Why hasn't he played all year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's easy to, after the fact, now that they've really let themselves down, look at the team and point out who's been a disappointment. But you know what? These guys have been named before. It's mm. not as though we are now saying Taylor Walker. We're now saying, well, I'm saying Rory Laird. I, we're not now just observing this because they've played so much football for this team and save for that one year have, I would say, been overall very disappointing. No, there's trouble. There's trouble in the hills. Um, can I ask you, can Collingwood... <laughs> But it's a fair question. Yeah, that yeah. was a great win. Yeah. Can Collingwood win the flag? Not unless they pinch top four. I, I just, I, I think they're good enough on the isolated occasion. I don't think they can do that four weeks in a row. And that's what they you would have be, to do. They would be, I'd tip Bulldogs. They knew we did it four weeks in a row last year, incidentally. I'd tip Bulldogs to beat them in the first final at the moment. I, I, I think it'd be even money, um, presuming that's the way it stays. All right, here's the other part of that. Adelaide, if they can somehow get it together and win next week. Against the Bulldogs. Uh, yeah. In Ballarat. Yeah. Unlikely, but if. Um, well, can is it? Can they possibly do it? What, and then play Collingwood here and beat them? No, no. no. Can they possibly get in the eight, the Crows? No. They can't get there, and if they got there, what a pity. Look, if they beat, Adelaide, if they beat Bulldogs, then you'd have to say, well, you know, fair play to you. Yeah, but they'd be just as likely to play a shocker in the first. Exactly, final. that's yeah. the thing. I'd rather I'd rather Bulldogs having lost to them than them having beaten the Bulldogs. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. All right, let's move on. Marvel Stadium Saturday evening, and it was uh, Port Adelaide trying to secure its spot in the eight, and didn't that go well? Not. Uh, a thumping win to North Melbourne, 22-12-144. Here we go again, trying to work out the margin. 86-point winners Believe over... Believe it, 86. <laughs> that's age and 86. Over Port Adelaide, a miserable eight goals, 10-58. The goals, and I'm going to enjoy reading this, Brown, 10. Larky, 5. Singles, the rest. 15 goals out of 22, those two. Three goals to Robbie Gray for Port. Two to Amon and singles the rest. Well, this game, the writing was on the wall with this game within 15 minutes of its commencement. North already 6-3 to 1-1 at quarter time. Banged on a couple more. I think within about five minutes of the second quarter, they were already 44 points up or something like that. It was ridiculous. Um, ben Brown, uh, the first uh, double-figure goal kicker. Or Jack Rewalt kicked 10 last year, but they've been pretty few and far between, I've got to say. Incre- we'll, I'll sing his praises later, but um, special tribute too to Todd Goldstein. Played one of the great ruck games. 34 disposals for Todd Goldstein. He's not generally looked upon as a mobile sort of big possession winner, but he was doing everything. He had that many score involvements and assists, and he was absolutely wonderful. Up against two Ruckman in Paddy Ryder and Peter Adams, he absolutely pantsed both of them. And that lack of spirit for Port, unfortunately, and I'll reflect on this a bit too, I might be still in my own thunder here, um, was just reflective of a really, really shoddy effort from them. Statistically, 
Um, these are worth pointing out. 514 disposals to north, 207 disposals more than the power. Surely that's got to be a record or close to it. 21 more clearances, 51 more contested possessions, 22 more inside 50s. It was an absolute shellacking this game. And uh, Port, well, they should really hang their heads because they just did not come to play. And the other mob who hung their heads the previous week after just one goal, they were men on a mission and they certainly delivered. A couple of observations. You were at the game and your observations well made. Uh, In a couple of weeks, I've done this a couple of times already for the Footyology website. I'll select my All-Australian team. I'm a bit of a stickler for putting players in position. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's always an overflow from the midfield. But I think this year has seen a rebirth of the wingman in AFL football. Yeah, and that probably is due to 6-6-6. Yeah, at least... They they are put in position and and yeah I think I think the wingman exists once again, and I'm putting a, I'm going to put Pollock on one of the wings. I reckon he's been more than what was expected of him. Of course we know he's got outside run and a very damaging kick of the ball, but I like his contested play this year as well. I don't think he's shirked an issue. I reckon he's been a great pickup for North and plays that position extremely well. Yeah, I, I thought I, every time I've seen North, he's been good. I had a tater tape with someone on Twitter about him, actually. I think it was a Port supporter, so they obviously don't want to sing his praises. But I also think Jasper Pittard's been a great pickup for him too, and I thought he was really good against the power as well. He's been less kooky. I've got to say. Yeah, he has. He has. He was prone to biting off more than he could chew when he played at Port Adelaide. But I guess when your football life, your football mortality is, you know, sort of laid at your feet when a club doesn't really fight to keep you, he knows that North's his last chance. And maybe he's pulled his head in and grown up a bit. But I think both of them have had good seasons. We, we were talking early this year about how the um, retirement of Jared White had really hurt Brown. Well, Nick Larkey's just been a massive revelation yeah, I think for that, that going forward for them is a cause of great optimism to have. Yeah. Obviously, on a weekend where they've kicked 10 and 5, who wouldn't want that duo up forward? But the more that they kick, the more conscience, conscious the opposition coach and the planning around playing North Melbourne, once it, it it will start to revolve around how to quell the two key forwards. And that will give opportunities to the midfield. And, you know, there's only so much pre-planning you can put in and, and systems you can put in place. And if teams are forced to focus on those two, because if they don't, they'll lose the game, I think that bodes well for the rest of the side. They're going to have to restructure their defence without Thompson, of course. Mm. And it'll be interesting how that defence looks because when they're not going well, North Melbourne have had a... I think they're, they're easy to score against. Obviously, this is, isn't a week, but they'll look at that. Goldstein will stay. In due course, they'll have to replace him, but not on what we saw last night for a couple of years. Well, so don't, just I think in ter- okay. Yeah, well, in terms of defence, don't forget about Mad Jack Dorr. I mean, he's capable well, of coming back there and you go. filling Isn't that Isn't that interesting? That will be the maybe finals or finals yes or no question just on the face of it for North next year. No, I wasn't considering him, 
but he finished last year off brilliantly as a impenetrable backman who could swing forward and win a game or go in the ruck. I thought he finished last year as one of the game's most valuable players. I think they need I don't think they need a lot. I think they need a bit more dash out of midfield, maybe a bit more skill. A bit more that's what they need. They do still clearly shine more when Higgins has the ball. So they yeah. need another classy a classy exponent. Just on the imports too, hasn't that been a mixed bag? Because we, we've just talked up Pollock and Pittard. We think they've been great for them. And the other two, well, unsighted. Aaron, Aaron Hall, well, he's, he's, he's four games into a season. Mm. That's him done. He's done that every year of his career. Well, He simply is not a durable footballer mentally or physically. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him. What about Dom Tyson? I think he was a late pickup. Melbourne didn't really want him. I don't mind Tyson. I don't, I, he's I been injured he adds, all year. I don't think he adds a lot to the mix. Ahern hasn't come on. He was picked up, interestingly, from GWS, having had two knee recos and never played a game. But no, uh, I don't think he's got a big future from what we've seen this year. So they need to add to the midfield because they've got Cunnington, who's such a, a, a great ball winner. They've got Zebel who's come back into the midfield more. He's okay as a midfielder, but very good as a combo midfield forward. But they need something classy in the midfield. I know a couple of years ago they got an ageing Del Santo, who was quite good for them. Can they pick up a an older player from another club to add that polish? Yeah, it'll be interesting because they've hit the trade period pretty hard for a few years now. It'll be interesting to see if they go back to the predominantly the draft table. But uh, uh, And just on Port, mm. whilst that was a terrible performance by a team who could have you know, taking a spot in the eight, at least they knew that their list needed some youthful injection and their Mm. year will not be wasted because of the young players that have played for most of the year. So they... Well, just on that, I mean... balance disappointment with some optimism. Well, they had Rosie played, Butters played. Should Butters have played? Uh, Well, everyone knew him, but uh, perhaps shouldn't have played. Were you singing that on the boundary? Were you told by the port officials, look, mate, you're an idiot, stop it, you're distracting him? I wanted to, but I did say to my AW co-commentators in the box, say, any of you guys watch South Park? And got blank responses. I I, I know (laughs) Beave probably doesn't have, you know... He's he's a meat and potatoes man yeah. when it comes to comedy. <laughs> so, no, I, I decide not to uh, run that one up the flagpole. Do you think there's anybody in the media, footy media, that enjoys South Park like we do? No. Are there any left field? Not enough. No, probably not. <laughs> not enough. Um, but I was going to say, uh, Dersmer wasn't playing. And, uh, of course, a bloke who had a big game um, for Port in the Sandful, uh, Willem Drew. Willem who? Willem Drew. <laughs> We will. <laughs> we haven't done one for weeks. Um, I don't want to put a line through a player. Yeah, but I've never been as bullish about this bloke as others because I reckon most people who think he's a great player don't watch him play; just read his stats. I don't know whether Tom Rockliffe's got much forward. There's. I don't think there'll be a lot of forward planning at Port if Hinkley's coach regarding Rockliffe. He's been willing to drop him this year, and I don't think Rockliffe's come back and proven him wrong. Will Hinkley be coach? You know, I, I just threw that one. In. No, it's a fair, it's a fair ask. Pike, Hinkley. There's a mood for change now too, given what the sides that have uh, turf guys mid-season got caretakers have done. So the question remains, it's all well and good to say this coach has run his race, but in the end, where's the replacement? They, they can... 
It yeah. doesn't seem... Two clubs have already said there's nothing really out there. Mm. I don't think a third club's going to say the same. You're going to be pretty brave if you're going to be the fourth or fifth club to say, no, 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 we know that there's somebody out there just perfect. I don't reckon those sort of statements have done much for um, Brad Scott's self-esteem, just quietly. No, he's now being sounded out for an AFL position. All right, let's move on. Optus Stadium in Perth, Saturday evening, and uh, Essendon, after a disgraceful couple of weeks, needed to make a statement, and they made it with a 32-point win over a disappointing Fremantle. 13-9, 87 the Bombers against Fremantle, 7-13-55. Two goals to Brown, two to Stringer, two to Merritt, two to the Langford. Three, a late two yeah. to the Langford. Yeah, okay. Three goals to McCarthy, two to Walters for the Dockers. Um, I've got to say, again, I didn't have the guts to tip them, but I was quietly confident the Bombers weren't going to fall apart. They were going to find something. I liked the ins, and we talked about this on Thursday. Yeah. You thought they were taking sizable gambles. Well, and they just all were fit, weren't they? They all they, they were, cracked in, they, they? were vindicated. I yes, thought Hurley, yes. Hurley and Saad, terrific in defence. Um who else came back? Well, Heppel. Oh, yeah, not bad. And uh, what was the other in? Parrish. Uh, no, Heppel played against Port. No, it was Parrish. Parrish and Francis. Were yeah, the but other Heppel. Ends. I'm telling you, Heppel was injured against Port. He just didn't look right. To yeah, me. he looked like a completely different player. Yeah, no, Parrish. Parrish, Parrish really was, important. To Parrish him. is a good player now, isn't he? And uh, yeah, he is. He, he's been. He's going to do well on the best and fairest. I think. And of but, course, McKernan, who played the week before. Yeah. Um, you, you have to have him in the team. I mean... Oh, oh no, he's a... He's, no, I'm saying just for shape, just to yeah, ev- yeah. for everything that he brings. I'll almost say this. If he's not playing at the moment without Danaher, you can't tip Essendon. Yeah, no, he's a, he's definitely in the best 22. Um, you, got, know, you, got, know, you know who was good at the end? Who? <laughs> I'm always laughing. Zach Clark. At the end? Yeah, last 15 minutes. Look, Freeman were coming at you. Yeah. He rucked really well, and he got a couple of key clearances. I mean... Yeah, but you've got to hang your hat on a bit more than that. I'm just saying, at the end of the game, look, yeah. Langford was going terribly. And he did a shocking... They were coming. They were within three goals. Yeah. You'd swept the ball forward, and Langford had the ball, and he was half going to have a shot at goal, half going to pass. It was a terrible piece of play. Mm. He sort of tripped it up, and Frio swept it away. He and Zach Clark. I then feel one year the game. Zach Clark clearances and he kicked two goals. Well, that Zach Clark did a similar thing when Essendon beat Sydney at the MCG a couple of months back. Um, so yeah, look, he's not incapable of rising to the big moments, if not for 120 minutes. But the start was really important here, and the Bombers got a good one. Five goals, one. Um, Zach Merritt, we just take it for granted with Zach Merritt, but I thought he was terrific. Only 23 disposals, but good disposals and a couple of goals which were important for them. Um, the other guy I wanted to sing the praises of was uh, Paddy Ambrose, who picked up Nat Fife, and Fife had 26, but wasn't his usual imposing and self. And he was trying in that last quarter, and he kicked an important goal, Fife. Look, they were not impossible to win that. I think you... Well, disappointing Fremantle, yes. The result was disappointing, and it's disappointing end to the season for them. But they cracked in. I thought this was a very good win by Essendon because Fremantle did not spit out, and they really came at Essendon in that last quarter. Fife was going to be the main man. He kicked a goal, beautiful goal around the body. He's criticised for his set goal kicking, 
that was a lovely shot, wasn't it? Mm. The goal that he kicked. Mm. And then I think most players upfield thought, right, our man's going to, you know, he could win us this game. And he could not get the ball because of Ambrose. Look, that was a, a great effort by Essendon to, to, all things considered, after the horror of the week before, isn't football funny? Two weeks ago, they got ripped apart by Port Adelaide. And you wouldn't believe that two weeks later if you saw these two teams. You just couldn't fathom it because, above all, Essendon were very, very head over the ball brave. Well, I they, think that's what won you the game. And they, won had, them the game. they had to be. They had to be after what had happened the week before. But, I mean, we, we seem to have more sides than usual with this sort of psychological fragility this oh, season. I'm so glad. You know, I was I was pretty... Um, I, look, I'm not an Essendon supporter, but I, I was pretty disgusted with the treatment of the Essendon Football Club, and it was particularly John Worsfold during the week. It was a terrible loss, but not put in context. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to say, going back to his home state, I was delighted for John Worsfold, whose demeanour, by the way, was exactly the same as all those stupid photographs and claims of disinterest in the, you know, horribilis of last week. So, well, it's unlike the uh, football media to be totally reactive. and. But I really enjoyed the shots of him. Again, very calm, but just discussing things through a headpiece or whatever. Exactly the same as during last week's, you know, 21-goal onslaught by the doggies. It's going to be interesting to see how Essendon play next week now, isn't it? Because they've got Collingwood. And, um, you know, they're obviously not going to be favourite for that game. but It sort of means less to Essendon. Yeah, it does. They're, but they're, sort of, they're, they're going to play... I'm well, they're going, to play, they're, they're going to play Collingwood or GWS. Um, they're going to play GWS, I reckon. Well... If they beat Collingwood, maybe not. Yeah. Wouldn't it be better if they lost to It would, but you don't want to go in with that mindset. No, but that's... Or it just... If a football team's not 100% and then something into the ferocity of the contest... You're going to lose. Now, Collingwood's got everything to play for mm. in their mind. And Essendon, mm, I think is better off if they lose. Yeah. Uh, that That's all it takes. So I don't think they're going to go in as hard as Collingwood, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to beat GWS. No, it's a very interesting scenario. All right, that's enough for Saturday night. Let's talk about Sunday. Okay, MCG 110 Sunday afternoon. Build as a potential grand final preview, and can I say, and I am going to elaborate on this and steal my, well, I don't want to steal my own thunder now, but I can't really avoid it, so I shouldn't have done that as a hot or not, but never mind. Um, what a fantastic game this was. If a grand final is of this quality, I think we'll all be pretty happy, the neutrals among us anyway. A thrilling six-point win to the Tigers, 13-10, 88, defeating West Coast, 13-4, 82, three goals to Lynch, Two to Rewalt, singles the rest, and for the Eagles, three to Jamie Cripps, two to Darling, two to Rioli, singles the rest. And uh, a game of two halves, uh, meteorologically speaking, because uh, first half played in the dry, and West Coast had the ascendancy, although fair to say Richmond were coming pretty hard in that second quarter, and the second half played in the wet, the expectation then that Richmond, and I think Richmond are close to the best wet weather side I've ever seen. But I think, funnily enough, Fonny, West Coast came out of this, given their last quarter, 
um, with a fair bit of credit, if not the points. And it took my mind back, and we're going way back, but it sort of reminded me a bit of Essendon and Collingwood in 1990 when Essendon beat Collingwood twice during the regular season and the second time in that massive Sunday game out at Waverley by kick, similar margin. But you had the feeling, gee, Collingwood are coming. I reckon West Coast uh, will take a lot out of this game. And yes, it makes it more precarious about them winning a home final. But I think they will walk away not that disappointed with this result in what was an outstanding game of footy. The one caveat to that is that of all the changes that could happen to these teams, Richmond are far better served. Nankervis will prove to be a better option than Soldo and Coxon will come into the team. And I'm telling you, if they rush Netanui back in the side, it's a mistake. Because he's not I don't think he's proven that he's a risk, too much of a risk, I think. And also, finals football can really find you out if you're not 100% fit. Now, we saw the premiers today from this season, and I don't know who it is, by the way. Absolutely no idea. You've got to be able to sit back and sometimes just take everything out of what it means who they play next week, ladder position, what it means for a grand final. It's like the old expression, don't wish your life away. You know, I wish it was summer already. I wish, if you can't enjoy football, just isolate this and say, I've seen a great game of football. Thank you, footy. Thank you, Richmond. Thank you, West Coast. Thank you, Linesman. Thank you, Ball Boys. Then you've really taken away from your pleasure. of the. You've missed an opportunity because this was... Such a great game of footy. That last quarter, played in the wet, the brilliant handling, some of the toughness. Yo, hasn't he, and I know he's been talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks, how good he is as a footballer, hasn't he become a ferocious, hard player without the ball? Well, I want to read you his stats because I thought they were quite remarkable. 26 disposals, 15 clearances yep. and 8 tackles. And in with bumps and down and hard. If you think Gaff's an outsider, you're, you're not watching football. You can't be part of either of these teams and not be part of the hurly-burly of football. Edwards, brilliant. Hawley, brilliant. Prestia. Best on ground. Kane Lambert, what a good footballer, Kane. You say that they're the best wet weather team you've seen. Mm. Surely Lambert's central to that discussion. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, the, the other thing about this too is I think that they're both, although they do it in very different ways, they're both positive attacking sides. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, very much so. And a bit, But uh, still a clear contrast between how they play. And in that first quarter when West Coast kicked seven, I mean... Well, they, they like the ball, don't they? They were magnificent. They well, they like you know they like using the ball by foot. Okay, they, they like possessing. Yeah, you know. finding finding clean targets, uh, getting into uh, the key forwards' advantage. They've got great crummers. Brian Rioli, Cripps is a really important third tall. And that system works beautifully. That's funny you for call them. him a third tall. I call him a third small. Yeah, well, he's he's he's, uh, both, he's a medium sizer, and again, I'm sorry, but I just cannot get this image out of my head. He bears an uncanny resemblance to adult film star Tom Byron, who with who um, whose work some of you may be familiar. And you seem overly familiar. Um, yeah, well, you know, I was a I was a kid. I watched the odd Skinfleet. 
Um, 17 jars of Vaseline. Later, we're <laughs> oh, back on footyology. Get off. Um, but the Tigers go about it differently. And a lot of people would look at the way Richmond plays footy, even two years ago, and say, you know, it's, it's based on defence and pressure. But you can use those elements of footy in an attacking sense, and they do, don't they? It's those Lynch t- is a great inclusion for that. But hang on, it, it's those taps into space and yeah. knock-ons and just forcing of the ball forward. And it actually is really good to watch, isn't right. it? It doesn't get better than what this game climaxed into. And I know that's a term that you're <laughs> very comfortable with. Because <laughs> Dustin Martin was brilliant in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, well, he's brilliant all day. 30, but, 35 yeah, disposals. But, but the, the last, the strength with the greasy ball. Yeah. Just, he was just more powerful. Yeah. Right to the end, too. You mentioned that pick-up of Basho Hawley, right? Yeah. Literally in the last the few seconds. One second. Five seconds to go. If the ball bobbles, then West Coast can have one more kick forward. Look, they've got Dylan Grimes down back. I mean, Kennedy kicks his only goal late in the last quarter. Yeah. Well, Grimes, uh, they, they just about consigned Dead. Grimes yeah, to the yeah. grave. Correct, yeah, that's before right. Before he came back. Dead, resurrected. <laughs> but but that, that one goal that he did kick was such a strong mark that you felt that if he was given one more opportunity to go one-on-one, he could win them or draw them the game. Mm-hmm. A draw would have been a fascinating finish, and it was certainly on the cards for a portion of that last quarter. Not for the latter position, but because of the honest truth that a draw would have been. These two teams will provide the Premiers. I don't know which one. Uh, I agree. I agree. If you if push came to shove now, I would stick with my pre-season tip only because I want to show faith in it, and that is the Eagles. And if push came to shove, I'd say Richmond... Only because, this is a bit unfair, sorry, it is ultimately decided on their home patch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that counts for plenty. But don't, Where West um, Coast play brilliantly. And, but I, I, I really think an important thing out of today is don't discount West Coast in the wet. I thought they quitted themselves in the finish really, really well. Common, common, common held untruths. How, for how long were we saying, oh, West Coast can't play at the MCG? Yeah. Yeah. The turnaround stark. West Coast are from the Perth. They can't play in the wet. It's not true. Yeah. Great teams can do it all anywhere, anytime. Fantastic game in inclement weather. The uh, What's the opposite uh, of inclement weather? Clement weather? My surname. <laughs> now, I just want to ask you one thing. I, I know it's easy at this point in time to say this. Um, are we going through a bit of a North Hawthorne 70s? You know, a two-team top-of-the-table rivalry mm. that will be sort of the, the powers for the next three or four years. I I really think that these teams have cleared out a bit from the others. No, I, I don't. I, I, think, I, def- I, I think the latter is more transient than that these days. I just look at the teams challenging them, challenging them this year. Mm. Brisbane, not as good. Great run of injury. Don't think they're really in that class. Geelong? A lot of reliance on some pretty old men. Mm. Collingwood will always need, have to restructure their forward line. If they're the best of the challengers, I think it might be Richmond West Coast in a great Hawthorne-Essendon-like yeah, yeah. rivalry oh, I'd be for, very, the, for, I'd, the, for the next four years. I'd be very happy with that. But just remind yourself what we were saying this time last year about the dominant team in the competition. Of course. Didn't even play in the grand final. No, they didn't. No, uh, that's, that's true. All right. Let's talk about the other two games in 
on Sunday afternoon, and I mentioned inclement weather in Melbourne. It certainly wasn't like that in Sydney. Giant Stadium, Sunday afternoon, GWS taking on the rampant Western Bulldogs, and uh, they did a bit more ramping, it's fair to say. 61-point belting of the Giants, uh, now threatening to become thoroughly discredited in terms of their finals potential. Final scores, 19-12, 126, the Bulldogs, to the Giants, 9-11, 65, three goals to Shackey, two to Dale, two to Dixon, two to Dunkley, two to Lipinski, two to Norton, two to Lloyd. Singles the rest. And for the Giants, two to Green, two to Himmelberg, two to Keefe. Singles the rest. What has happened to the Giants, Finey? This is now um, after a goalless second half. I think I did hear this stat. 108 years since the side had goalless halves two games consecutively. This means four of their last six quarters have been goalless. They led by three points at half time. They were, I think, 15 points up quite late in the second quarter and lose by 10 goals. What happened? They are seemingly, as it happens, they played a team that scored 13 unanswered goals on the back of 21 unanswered goals. If the Bulldogs are the irresistible force when momentum swings their way, GWS are the house of cards that can easily be blown over. They have, we know, injuries and a critical mass, it appears, of AFL quality players. And it seems to me that their bottom six is as poor as Gold Coast's even. They just drop off dramatically and... Unfortunately for them, a lot of that exposure comes in the back half. Uh, you know, they've got some lesser-known players like Steen and a couple of others, but maybe a Heath Shaw now is, without ball in hand, a very vulnerable footballer. Well, I'll say that he is. Gave away a stupid 50 at the end when it was all done and dusted. They have rucking problems, don't they, that they may be addressing with Paddy Ryder, I believe, at the end of the season. But clearly their ruck division, even though that's not where the Bulldogs necessarily won the game, are giving what remains of that guilt-edged midfield second best service. They're in the eight. I don't think anybody considers them a serious contender. And we spoke earlier about coaching futures in South Australia for Hinckley and Pike maybe under pressure. Does Leon Cameron likewise find himself questioned? Because this is a team that, given their age and given the graph of their performances, would not have been expected to drop back as far as they have this season. But particularly concerning, yeah, and the question's now being asked to Cameron, there's no doubt about that, but I mean, the... The level of that drop-off within a game, I mean, last week was one thing, but, you know, this week they've gone seven goals to five in the first quarter. They've then kicked the first few of the second. They've led by close to three goals and not kicked a goal for the rest of the game. I mean, that that sort of yells out real problems, I think. And what's happened to the resilience? This is the same side that beat Geelong at GMHBA in round four this season. Yeah, look, if, if... If it's hard to pick a winner 
and it is now in football because of the evenness of the competition and hard to reconcile, say, Port Adelaide against Essendon versus Port Adelaide against North compared to North against Geelong. You know, you just look at those games and say it doesn't make sense. Then try and reconcile their last two second halves with brave, narrow squeaks the two weeks before. It just Mm. doesn't seem to make any sense other than there is, to me, the one thing you can point to there is the unevenness of the talent in that team at the moment. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair call. And it's funny, isn't it? Because earlier on we were lauding the fact that they'd become a more workmanlike mm. and balanced side as a result. Yeah, but yeah. it's not looking like that now, is no, it? No, it, it's not. They need, um, they need two Toby Greens. They obviously need Hopper in the side because of his big body work in the midfield. And they seem to... Maybe Zach Williams is a little... Uh, you're pointed to a Zach Williams. He he still plays a little bit like a millionaire for mine. Yeah, twenty seven disposals today. Yeah, millionaire disposals. Coming back the other way, he's well and truly out of position often. Remembering that for the most part of his time on the field, he's supposed to be a defender. I don't think I've seen him defend much. Let's uh, let's talk about the victors because um, they are looking red hot. They are looking back to 2016 form, which is ominous with the finals looming. Not uh, a, there's not a team in the finals who wants to meet them. That, I guarantee you this, that top four is pretty strong, yes? Mm. Two of them lose week one. They would be hoping Bulldogs lose as well. Yeah. If they make it. You know, a few ifs there, but I wouldn't want to be... You couldn't imagine really any of the top four straight setting it because I think they're all pretty good. But wouldn't the Bulldogs be a difficult prospect week two of the finals? Well, it's just their capacity to get hands on the footy as much as anything. Jack McRae, another 39 today. Dunkley, 31 for him. 27 for Bontempelli. 27. Ben, ben, ben Bontempelli, was he a bit sore-ish today? Uh, he copped a few knocks. Yeah. Um, to, our boy, uh, Private Lipinski. Well, key, 27 and a couple of goals. Well, key goals just before half time. Yeah. Uh, Johannesson, I think, is really back to his best. Matt Suckling's playing some good footy. Yeah. It's funny, you know, Suckling's always had one flaw in his football, and he showed it again today. What was that? Part of being a great kick, I guess, is, rating, is backing yourself. Mm-hmm. And there are just times where he bites off more than he can chew. Yeah. He's always been a bit like that. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah. there's always a chance that that kick out of the back line that he tries to pinpoint is going to kill you. And he did it today in that second quarter, and actually in the first quarter. And I thought to myself, somebody like your coach, Beveridge, back in the olden days, now you've got to be very careful about people's emotions. Back in the olden days, he would have pinned you up against the locker for some <laughs> of the things you do. So, uh, Bulldogs, with their destiny in their own hands, beat Adelaide next week in Ballarat and uh, finals place secured for the first time since that premiership year. And yeah. on the current ladder, they'd end up playing Collingwood. And I don't think the Pies would be, like you said, I don't think anyone would be thrilled by the prospect. Um, and that is the most likely scenario, isn't it? So, yeah. do, we th- do we think the Bulldogs are the only member of the bottom half of the eight that can do some damage, yes. remembering... Well, so you don't think Collingwood can? Oh, bottom half of the eight. Mm. I was actually thinking of teams outside the eight. Um, no, they're, they're, they're in stuck the in. They're stuck in now. They're the most likely to cause damage for mine. And their future is... It's, it's to me, sunshine bright. Mm. 
Tim English, young ruckman with a great future. Their forward line is spearheaded by a 20-year-old. T- mm. Norton's got a, a, a huge upside, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, he's sensational. Don't forget Bailey uh, Smith's East Malvern's finest mullet. First year of football. And their midfield is is in the primes of their career with three or four years, all of them, maybe of their best football still to come. I I think that their future is rosy. Uh, not Connor rosy. No. Um, did you ever see that um, series Stranger Things on Netflix? No, I did not. Okay. Uh, very popular. I'm sure a few of our listeners did. Bailey Smith has just struck me. Bears an uncanny resemblance to the um, tough Porno guy. Star. Sorry. The, no, not a porno star. The tough guy character. I can't remember his name, but I'm um, sure someone will point it out to me. But a uh, bit of a separated birth going on there. Fantastic effort by the dogs. And uh, like we said, I don't think anyone will be too keen on playing them come week one or week two uh, of the finals. You know, when we did the previews for this game, I just, I really f- felt that I, I wanted to see the best of the Bulldogs and I thought at half time that I'd miss the boat a bit because I was only thinking about the doggies and I, I, I felt that, you know, GWS at home are hard to beat. That second half... I was so disappointed with GWS to the point where they've lost my trust now. Mm. I'm now putting them in the Adelaide, Port Adelaide class of, yep. all right, I might tip you, you might win, whatever, but it will amount to nothing under the current structures. And I guess that's why those three coaches are a bit nervous tonight. Yep. No, good call. All right, let's move on to the final game of round 22. And the final game of round 22 at Marvel Stadium, Hawthorne playing Gold Coast. But uh, really, they could have renamed this the Jared Roughhead tribute game because that's all anyone was there for. 31,331 turning up. Pretty good result, really, for a what could have been a meaningless game uh, against Gold Coast on a Sunday evening. Although, finally, Hawthorne's still a live chance for finals if several results go their way and they manage to beat West Coast in Perth on the rebound, which is a pretty tall order, but a, a thumping 70-point victory for the Hawks, 18-10, defeating Gold Coast, 7-6-48, 17 straight losses for the Suns now. For the Hawks, six goals to Ruffy. Uh, what a great way to say farewell if indeed it is his farewell. Two to Scully, two to Warple, Two to Wingard and two to O'Brien, all singles for the Gold Coast. This was all about one man. Uh, I'm about, about to call you Ruffy. What'd you make of it? Let's start with the Gold Coast Suns, and then we can roll on to Hawthorne. Yep. The six gold to one first quarter would rightly have you saying the game was over a quarter time. Yes, that would be idiotic, because that would suggest the game was anything but over. Before it started. (laughs) I mean, really, this team is plumbing new depths of mediocrity. Uh, Much loved former son of the Hawks, Stuart Dew, of course, the hero, bit of a hero in that unlikely 2008 premiership, was again taciturn watching his team play deplorable football. In fact, there's an argument to be said that Marvel was the one ground where they'd probably put their best foot forward throughout uh, the season. Beat the Bulldogs? 
Yeah, beat the Bulldogs, got within a point of St Kilda. Correct. Uh, did they not beat Carlton there or play well against Carlton there? Uh, they beat Carlton at Carrara. Oh, sorry, Carrara. But they, well, seemingly, they could play some decent football there. Even a couple of weeks ago, they had a game there, two or three weeks ago, and in, 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 in all of the disastrous football they've been playing, did they not have a game there this month? Uh, they lost to the Blues by four goals. Yeah, okay, so yeah. that was the game. Yeah. Not a terrible performance no. when isolated in the recent couple of months, last couple of months. And now they've been able to poop in that nest as well. So I'll just give you the figures. So in their last seven games, they've had – they were sort of holding it together until the last couple of months. But the last seven games, their losing margins have been 92 – 95, 69, 91, and 70. Yeah, so they're doing pretty well. They haven't been beaten by 100 points. <laughs> uh, there's nothing to recommend them whatsoever. Piers Hanley had a lot of the ball tonight, which is the old Piers Hanley. Didn't help them at all. Let's, and you know what the most damning fact was? They lost by 70 points against a team that was playing... Glo- sort of Harlem Globetrotter type football because they kept looking for Ruffy. You know, one, at one point the ball was kicked forward to Ruffy and Gunston marked it. Yeah, and he got booed. <laughs> and he turned around like a... Oh, no, sorry. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't for me, was it? Yeah. It was like, you know, I opened up the mail. I, I didn't realise it was for you, the letter. Great last minute too because Ruffy had a shot for his six that uh, didn't make the distance, but then he, he got another chance, wheeled onto the left and... Uh, the crowd went berserk. Just greedy for him. Another one, another one. Interestingly, six goals, if Mitch Lewis doesn't come up, then mm. they've really got to pick him next week, don't they? Well, I, I don't sort of get this. I don't understand why you wouldn't pick him anyway. I, I don't know. I, I'm assuming that Lewis in for Ruffy. Well, drop someone else. <laughs> He's kicked six. You know, against Gold Coast, with every player on the field looking for him, sometimes you know, going sideways in centre forwards. I'm not quite sure that he's in their best 22. Nevertheless, very good game by Chad Wingard. Good game by Scully. I'm sort of worried that any player that's played better than they normally do against Gold Coast simply gets labelled as somebody who, you know, struggles against proper opposition. Well, not so. Their very War- best Warpool. player who he, he's been has, consistent. He has to win their best and fairest, doesn't he? Who else could win it? Henderson's dropped off, so yeah, yeah, yeah Warple. Good result in your second year. And if you follow the formula of Brownlow medals, which is team needs to win probably ten or more games, mm. tick. Yeah, you need to be a midfielder, tick. Mm. It's better if you're a midfielder without a brilliant disposal efficiency record, because then you don't get tagged, tick. And most importantly, you need to be a midfield in a midfield where not too many other guys are getting votes. Tick. Mm. Might be a value bet in an open year. I want to ask you about Hawthorne looking ahead to next year. Tom Mitchell comes back. You know, we presume he's all going okay with the recovery. Does that just then turn Hawthorne into a bottom half of the eight side? I mean, what 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 else do they I reckon need? every team from – every side from – uh, God, if you give Melbourne more credit than they deserve, every time side from seventeenth up would have claims on the bottom half of the eight. Mm. Really, they're no worse than ten other teams. 
hunting, know, hunting just, that position I, at their best. I just wax and wane on Hawthorne a bit. You know, when they when they turn it on, I think, oh, gee, they're still pretty capable. And when oh, they have a look at the back line's a problem, you know. Is Frawley almost done? Yeah, yes. I guess so. Birchall is done? Yes. That leaves a back line, you know, Ben Stratton has not had a great year, to be honest. Mm. You, you start to question that back line against... This is going to be my final damning word on Gold Coast. You have to question that back line against AFL standard opposition. We now have a team that's not AFL standard in the in the comp. We now look at the fixture next year and teams are desperate to play this mob twice. Mm. It's not good. No, it's not. It's not. All right, there is our summary of all nine games in round 22. Let's talk about the highlights and lowlights of the weekend's footy. On Footyology, hot or not. The highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs. Uh, we all know how this works. I'm going to go first, Finey, and I've got a hot, and it's a pretty obvious one. His name is Ben Brown, AFL football's first double-figure goal tally since Jack Rewalt in round 21 last year. Magnificent display of precision forward, leading, marking, and kicking. Ten goals won was his bounty for the day. Started the round... Uh, what, six behind Jeremy Cameron in terms of the Coleman medal. Finished it four goals ahead. Um, in good position now to beat Rewalt's uh, Coleman medal winning tally of last year, which was 65, which is just as well because if he didn't, it would be the lowest Coleman medal winning tally since John Peck in 1965. Um just vintage forward craft from Benny Boy. Um, yes, he gets the odd free kick, and there were a couple perhaps which were questionable, but he's mobile, he leads well, uh, beautiful kick, um, and he's a ripping bloke, and I had to give him a hot. You can't kick 10 goals in this day and age and not get a hot from us. I think that's fair enough. I think the umpires were a little bit friendly on a couple of occasions. All right, you're up. Okay, I'm going to start with Collingwood, and a player less talked about in their wins, in their structure, in their successes. But he's a first-picked player. You know they say, oh, he's first-picked. Well, I guess he is because he's in the back pocket every week. But Braden Maynard has become a very reliable. He's got a big body. I think he maybe was prone to a couple of um, moments of exploit, exploitable football up till this year, where he'd play well, but, you know, sometimes a key moment was a bit of a snafu. I think he's matured and ironed that out of his game. He was sucking a ball. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Not not even in a retaliatory sense, but p- smarter players could lead him up, could get him to do things that I'm sure the coach didn't want him to do. He's matured out of that. He's a big thumping kick, kicked a goal... Uh, against Adelaide, but drives the ball forward. Rarely talked about, but I reckon he'd make every team in the comp. Yeah, no, that's a really good call. He's a lovely kick of the footy. Yeah, beautiful kick. Yeah, people don't talk about that much, or do they? That, he doesn't get talked about much. No, you're right. You're right, he doesn't. Um, no, it's a very good call. I like that one. Uh, all right, a not for me and uh, the other side of the game I just spoke about, Port Adelaide. 
give us a break. I mean, I know your sort of calling card has been your uh, erratic ways for a number of years now, but uh, that was just ridiculous last night. And you can't help thinking this is a side that, um, well, they had that uh, loss-win sequence which went for nine weeks, which they then broke. Uh, But they've now won two in a row three times this season and then been unable to follow it up first two times not thrashings of this order, but this was just a debacle. And um, speaking to Ollie Wines after the game, actually, they knew North were going to be souped up after only kicking one goal. So they knew exactly what they were going to get, and they were just patently unprepared for it. They got smashed. Never looked like it at any stage. The writing was on the wall after five minutes of this game, and uh, they've cost themselves a spot in the finals as a result because... Unless uh, the Bulldogs slip up next week in Ballarat against Adelaide, which you could have very lengthy odds on happening, um, they're going to miss finals again for a, what, fifth year in a row. Um, not good enough. They're better. They should be better than they are. I'm going with another hot. Yep. Are you a fan of Roald Dahl's short stories, the adult short stories of Tales of the Unexpected? Oh, I used to watch the odd one on TV, yeah. The one one that stands out was great. It was a murdered policeman, and uh, he, all the detectives had come to the house and were consoling his widow, and they were saying that, you know, find the murder weapon, find the murderer, and she said, look, don't leave. You know, I had a beautiful roast dinner on he would have loved you to have it. And they all sit around and they're eating the roast lamb dinner and the chief detective says, oh, this murder weapon must be right under our noses. We'll find it, love. We'll, we'll get your husband's killer. She killed him with the frozen leg of lamb that they were then eating. So it was right under their noses all of the time. <laughs> I, th- I thought you were going to go the um, Scott Tenerman must die episode of South Park. No, 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 they, weren't <laughs> eating, they weren't eating him. <laughs> um, he, not his parents. No, it was. it's right under your noses. And this player comes under the right under your nose category. Now, I know that you're a bit blue on Nick Hind not getting picked up by Essendon. Yeah, I I wish they, I thought he could have been value, yeah. Yeah, and he's been very good value. Kane Lambert was playing for the Preston Bullants, Northern Bullants, Northern Blues, whatever, for two or three years. Just the best player in the VFL, week in, week out. Carlton at that point were on the bones of their ass. Why wouldn't they have picked him up? He was playing with their senior players, training with them. He is such a good player because he finishes games as well as he starts him. He's got great endurance, knows where the goals are, strong body, great in the wet, great team man, key component, made, I think, in their top five last year in their BNF. My Third, goodness. I think, in the premiership year. My goodness, under your noses. Mm. What was the knock on him? Sometimes it's just too obvious. I sometimes wonder if you play for a... Here's something interesting. Right, you're playing for the VFL-aligned VFL, um, club, right? Yeah. It's probably natural that he would have come under discussion, surely. Mm. And I think he did. I know as a fact he did. I remember articles saying as such. The last thing you'd want to do is ask some of the guys that played with him what sort of footballer he is. Because let's be honest, if you're in the VFL and you're in the midfield playing with Kane Lambert... Whose spots are you going to take on the list? Could there have been some people at Carlton pulling his tail for their own careers? Understandable. Not maybe it's says a bit ma- about culture of a club, doesn't it? But maybe in a way it can be tricky to to rise from the VFL into your AFL outfit unless there is a real like at Geelong a real 
philosophical embracing of that team as being your reserves. Mm. It seems to me at many clubs there is a disconnect. You know, the AFL club and the VFL club and, no, we, you know, don't want them taking our spots. They're mm. our jobs. Mm. I can only put it down to that. All right. No, no, good call. Um, he's a seriously good player. All right, my last one is another hot and uh, we just um, or talked before at length about I reckon it was a game of the season, Richmond West Coast, but you'd love it to be a grand final. It just had everything you want. It had great skill. What I like about both these teams, though, they do it in different ways, as we discussed, but they want to they want to attack. They want to score. They've both got very capable key forwards. They've both got very imposing forward setups with good key forwards and really good crummers and good uh, medium-sized forwards who can hit the scoreboard. They want to attack. They want to get their hands dirty. They want to force the ball forward. They don't want to chip it around and, and take too long agonising over every inside 50 and every attack. And I'm sorry, I, I, it's a bit of a recurring theme of mine now, but I look at the coaching of the likes of Ross Lyon, to a lesser extent John Longmire, Paul Ruse, I know he's out of it now, but that is a philosophy towards football, which I don't think really helped the game much as a spectacle. And I think in different ways, Adam Simpson or the Hawthorne approach, and Adam Simpson, bit of a reflection of that, and the way Damien Hardwick, and he's out of that Hawthorne school too, but the approach Richmond have taken to their footy, that's the sort of footy I think we really want to watch if we want the game to thrive. This was just an outstanding contest. If you didn't have a stake in it um, by following either side, you, you couldn't help but be enthralled by it. Fantastic game. If the grand final's anywhere near that quality, particularly considering the conditions for half of it, we're in for a treat. So hats off to both the Tigers and the Eagles. Thought it was sensational. We have been gushing about it, but I think everybody who watched it would be in the same, have the same mindset. My final hot is Chris Fagan. All right. Uh, I leave the studio, I go to the football office and kill the supporter. Now I can speak positively about any player or any coach rationally when I put on my hat, working hat as a football journalist. But when I go to the football, I don't have rationale. And people that I speak kindly of on air, I will despise because they're not, they're part of the opposition. Except for Chris Fagan. I just, even when St Kilda played him, I cannot look at that person and not want to not want to, you know, just say, I love, I hope you win. Hang on, you're the other coach. Oh, there's nothing about him that isn't, to me, the embodiment of what's good about football. And you know the word that comes to mind first? Fun. He just seems to, like, love the game and love the good parts of the game and have fun watching it even when everything's on the line. I just can't speak highly enough of how magnetic a personality he must be to have this club must owe so much to the man that has brought them all together I think could do it anywhere because he just seems to be that person if you've got a club that is splintered like Adelaide that's who you need Mm. somebody that everybody's on the same page as if I feel it as a footy fan then surely it must be happening at club level. Un- unrelentingly positive influence. I think the fact that he's done a, a lot of different roles within footy clubs has really helped. I can remember doing a piece 
Uh, was it 2014 Hawthorne had that shocking year with lots of off-field stuff, the the, the roughhead cancer stuff and, um, uh, you know, that tragic uh, loss of Brett, uh, Brett Ratton's son in the car accident. I remember talking to Chris um, for a, a piece in grand final week about they'd been through. and But other people were saying to me, this guy, he just brings everyone together, and some of the lengths he went to to um, you know look after people just on a purely personal level during that year um, wasn't lost on me. And and yeah, you're right. You know, I think I might have mentioned this, but when Brisbane played St Kilda this year, it was a Saturday night game, and I got in the rooms before anyone else. Um, I, I got down there particularly early because it was one-sided. Not for the party pies? Uh, no, they weren't in the dressing rooms. No, it's all snakes and stuff these days. But I was standing there with the gear on, you know, just waiting for people to come in. Someone came up behind me and grabbed me on the shoulders, and I thought it was one of the media people. And I turned around, it was it was him. <laughs> he was the first in the rooms. He goes, oh, I haven't seen him for ages. Yeah, but the know? only coach should do that at that point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, he's a ripping, ripping and, bloke. And I reckon he would have done it if they lost that night. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because he sort of looks, he looks a bit like Neil Craig from a distance, I guess, and he was a, a more gnarly, <laughs> yeah. nice bloke too, Neil Craig, don't get me wrong, but just on the surface, an older an older person like Chris Fagan, you could easily imagine being a bit of a hard taskmaster, maybe yeah. wielding the whip, but he is, I'm sure he does, He, he he's not a walkover, but there's something about him that makes, obviously, brings out the best in the individual and the team. And that's big for Brisbane. It's been an absolutely inspired coaching appointment, hasn't it? And, and it's easy to forget now that when it happened, it was seen as being right out of left field. So, yeah. On the back of a favourite son failing, yeah, an outsider with, you know, not AFL experience. Who hadn't coached in the recent past. Yeah. It was, now it seems obvious, it was a... a, a it's sort of now the pattern that people are following. At the time, yeah. it was not... It was considered almost. Um, I, I I felt at the time, uh, I'm completely wrong that it was a cost. That it was because he was cheap. That there was a sense that Brisbane are, are, are falling down a financial rabbit hole, and that's who they could afford. Oh, I'm sorry, they picked the best man. No, it's been a ripper. No, very good call. All right, there's enough of the highs and lows. It's time now to get fired up on footyology. The rant off. Righto, Fonny. I know you don't know what I'm ranting about this week, but uh, it's something I don't usually rant about, but I've lost patience. What do you think I'm talking about? Umpires? Yes. <laughs> Goal review? <laughs> oh, a few things. It's a sort of all-encompassing rant. Anyway, I'm ready to deliver it. Count me in. One, two, three. I'm pissed off with umpiring interpretations, Fanny. Now, this is rare territory for me. I'm not usually one to crap on about umpiring, and I reckon usually they do a pretty decent job. In fact, I'm not even sure this stuff is their fault, because I reckon the umpires have been so loaded up with responsibilities and technical rules that perhaps the most important duty of all is taking a back seat, and that is showing common sense. Now, there's three areas that have got my goat. One is the paying of advantage. It's all over the shop. Sometimes they'll pay it when there's no advantage to be had by the side in possession at all. Other times they'll pay it. The player taking the advantage stuffs up, and then they give him a second bite of a cherry. I hate that one. 
The second one, 50-metre penalties. Now, earlier this season, they were being handed out like candy, particularly for things like infringing the protected area. You haven't seen that for months. Now you just about have to kill a bloke to cop one. The worst is when the whistle's blown and a player on the team the free's been paid against boots the ball away. That's just stupidity, and it deserves to be punished. But they're paying the sympathy card way too much. I saw a couple of examples of this within minutes of each other on Saturday. Jack Silvani got away with one at the MCG. Then at the Gabba, Asava Radagalea had a free kick paid against him. Several seconds after the whistle's gone to pay it, Jack Henry boots the ball away. No 50s. Both those examples should have been punished with a 50-metre penalty. The third point is how they're paying yet another new rule for studs up. Jack Rewalk got robbed not once but twice at the MCG on Sunday. Anyone who's watched Rewalt play knows that he puts out the front leg to get the climb for a marking attempt. There's no malice in it. There's no intent to keep the defender out of the contest. It's just how he goes for the ball. And those two paid against him today were a million miles from what Toby Green did last year and a million miles from what the rule was introduced for. The punters go on about changes to the rules. I'm not sure it's that so much as the accumulation of new rules, more responsibilities for the umpires, and increasingly technical judgments they have to make. We have a game which relies heavily on interpretation. Because of that, it needs flexibility in decision-making dependent on the context of a game. I don't reckon that's happening enough anymore. Sometimes the rule book says a decision's right, but everyone watching knows that in that moment and in those particular conditions or circumstances, enforcing or not enforcing a rule is the wrong call. Decluttering is a fashionable phrase at the moment when it comes to possessions and lifestyle. I reckon right now, Finey, our umpires could do with a few lessons in it as well. I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. Okay. Well, well done. We're all happy then. Yeah, well, I, you know, look, I think it's pretty easy to tee off the umpires and they cop a lot that they don't deserve. And like I said, I, I think this one might be more about the rule makers. They're just, there's too much going on in their heads and there's not enough sort of big picture umpiring going on where you take the context of a particular game into account. All right, I'm ready to count you in. Three, two, one, rant. Now, my rant this week feels like a regular segment or almost a, a regular a regular part of the old mad magazine time now for would it kill them would it kill the officials at the mcg to open the bloody car park on a sunny day so when i drive to carlton st kilda i'm not forced to park in either carlton or st kilda i mean surely this wasn't one of the terrorist threatened games it was just a game between carlton and st kilda and would it kill the people who make fruit cups with you know those little plastic cups with fruit in juice to make them, so when I open them, the juice doesn't go everywhere. It, why does it spurt out? Why is it volcanic? And would it kill the people in front of me that are turning left at an intersection to put their indicator on before I queue up behind them? Would it kill umpires to umpire intentionally out of bounds and not let the crowd umpire it? Hey! Whistle. Do it yourselves. And by the way, would it kill the Australian Little League World Series baseball team to ever win a game? This is now the fifth year in a row I've watched you get annihilated by South Koreans, Venezuelans, Costa Ricans. I mean, South Korea is under attack from North Korea, Venezuela's got no money, and Costa Rica's a little US state. And you can't get a hit against any of them. Would it kill Krispy Kreme to put actual more cream or custard in their donuts, like walkers in the city? Crappy little fillings they've got. And would it kill 
bloody Tim Membry to kick a goal from 20 metres out straight in front after taking a great one-handed mark? Would it kill the people of Foxtel to make my box able to pick up nine gems so when cricket's not on nine, I can watch it? And finally, would it kill non-stick pants to not stick? Not after I buy them, but six months after running them in my dishwasher. Why are they sticking? <laughs> well, there was some connection there with football, but uh, that that was a very sort of old manny type rant, wasn't it? Bits and pieces. <laughs> I hate those fruit cups. Every time I open it, I get sort of, it's like a viper spitting venom at me, all this sugary water all over my clothes. All right, well, on that suitably cantankerous, middle-agey, whingy type note, not reflective of this show, really. We've been up and we've been positive. Reminder of the competition? Uh, yes, quickly. Okay, we've already got some great entries. Now, it's simply a matter this week of last games of the season coming up means last games in careers. We've already had some retirements, but what are some famous last games of footballers? Football, by, fam- by you know, known footballers, not somebody who played eight games, but some famous farewells in football. Okay, I like it. Get your entries into info at footyology.com.au and you will win an Andrews Hamburgers T-shirt in your chosen size, an Andrews Hamburgers cap, one size fits all. I wish they'd made Andrews Hamburgers scratch and sniff T-shirts. Remember them? (laughs) Yeah, they were good. I used to walk around with an orange on me. And a 100% natural organic cotton gym towel by Argon, who's uh, advertising advertisements you can now see displayed on the footyology.com.au website. That's all for this week, and thanks to your rant, Finey, we've got a good song to go out with. Now, in the same... You went with Ramstein last Thursday night. I I just want to say, even though I'm a sort of... That was an old man, you know, angry old man's rant, I had a nomination that was quite youthful. Yeah. Thou Shalt Not Kill by a DJ Scroobius Pip, but when you think of killing or kill... I've got to defer to you. Okay, well, my favourite band, and come on, every who, who, when they heard you say, would it kill, didn't immediately think of the mighty Rage Against the Machine and killing in the name, an appropriate way to leave this podcast. Hope your team had a good win. We'll see you on Thursday. Are the same that bar crosses. Some of those that work forces are the same that bar crosses. Some of those that work forces are the same that bar crosses. Some of those that work forces draw the same that bar crosses. Now you do what they told ya. 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 Now you do what they told ya.